Well, good morning, New Life Church. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 John. We continue our study through this epistle. Uh, we're getting to the end. We're in chapter 5. We've been studying this for the last few months. And um, we've already looked at the key verse in 1 John. Uh, we saw in verse 13, the key verse there is that we may know we have eternal life. So the Apostle John has been showing us how we can know for sure. We can have assurance of our salvation. That's what we've been looking at. And one of the results of assurance is confidence in our prayers. And the topic in the last few weeks, we've been looking at prayer. And that our prayers, we can be confident that our prayers will be heard and our prayers will be answered in the affirmative when we ask anything according to God's will. And that's the key, isn't it? Praying according to God's will. So the, the theme, the last few messages have been prayer. And John continues speaking of prayer in these next few verses, telling us what we can be sure of as we pray for one another. And there is one exception that we will see in this passage where John tells us that that prayer will not be answered. So we will study that together. But turn with me to 1 John. We'll read from verse 14 to verse 21 so we can see the context. But this morning I will just be covering verse 16 and verse 17. So 1 John chapter 5, we'll start in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray before we go into the Word together. Father, we come before you this morning. Thankful, Lord, we can worship you together here as a body in this place. We thankful, Lord, that you hear our prayers. And thankful also for what you're teaching us, Lord, in the last few weeks about how we need to pray. And thank you, Lord, we can confidently approach you because we are your children. We have that privileged position. And we can confidently ask, Lord, because you are wanting and willing to Give us these requests. Lord, we pray that your will be done this morning. We pray, Lord, that the words that be, have been, will be preached will not fall to the ground. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would help us to apply the word to our lives, that we will not just be the hearers of the word, but that we will be the doers. We pray, Lord, that you help us to obey your word. We know, Lord, that your will, that we live obedient, fruitful Christian lives. So we pray that confidently this morning, Lord. 
But as we study these other verses, Lord, that talk about sins that lead to death, we pray, Father, that you would help us and give us understanding, give us wisdom, that we may understand your word, that we may obey your word, and that we will worship you according to your word, not according to our own understanding. So, Father, we pray that you'll be blessed here this morning in our worship of you and in our response as well. And I ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the Old Testament, only the high priest could enter into the, the Holy of, of Holies once a year when they would offer the, the sacrifice and when he would intercede for the, the whole of the nation. But legend tells us that a, a scarlet rope would be tied around the high priest's ankle so that in case he happened to die while he was in the presence of God, he could be pulled out of the, the holies of holies. And that's how much the, the people, the Israelites, revered and feared the Lord. But we don't, thankfully, we don't need any other individual to go into God's presence on our behalf. We don't have to wait a certain time of the year to have a mediator go to the Father for us to pray on behalf of us for our sins. We don't have to live in fear of being struck dead if we enter into His presence unworthily anymore. But we can rest in His promises that if we draw near to Him, the Bible says, He will draw near to us. And His invitation is open to all men and to all women to come boldly before His throne at any time in any place. We saw last week in verse 13 and verse 14 that as believers, we should have confidence in our prayers because we have confidence in our God. We have confidence in His character. We know, John has told us, that we have eternal life. Nothing can take that eternal life away from us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is a certainty. And we can have confidence also, that God will answer our prayers. He will not leave us alone. He loves us. And we have direct access to the throne of God, to the throne of grace. Verse 14, look there, it tells us, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. We are certain. We are certain about this. And we are certain that we have the resources available to us um, from God at any time. So John's purpose in these verses, in verse 16 and 17, is just an illustration. It's primarily an illustration what we can pray for and what we can be assured of. And these verses also give instruction concerning those who are in sin, how we are to pray for those who are in, in sin. So let's look at the first point this morning. My first point this morning is simply the promise. And we see this promise in the first part of verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. That's just the first part that we're going to look at this morning. And what John is saying is if we pray for a person who's not committing a sin that leads to death, 
God will give life to that person. That's as simple as we can put it. But this is what John is not saying. John is not saying, if anyone sees his brother sinning, go tell the pastor so the pastor can deal with it. He's not saying, if anyone sees his brother sinning, call up all of your friends and and tell them about it so that they can pray for him. That's just a... That's just a spiritual way for, for saying, for, for justifying gossip, isn't it? John is not saying if anyone sees his brother sinning, he should shake his head in disgust and, and ask, how could he do such a thing? That is, that is just judging our brothers and our sisters, isn't it? But rather what he is saying is that if you see a brother in sin, we need to be praying for that individual. If it's a brother or a sister, we need to pray to God for restoration, for repentance, that God would give him life. And John is emphasizing the the extent of God's promise to to answered prayer. He's telling us in this verse the type of prayer that we can be sure that he will answer. He will answer that type of prayer. That is according to his will. If we see a brother sinning, we need to care enough to ask the Lord to grant them repentance. We need to care enough for that person to even help them turn from that particular sin. So that part of the verse is is fairly easy enough to understand. We all have a responsibility as brothers and sisters to care for the spiritual welfare of those in the family of God, those who call themselves Christians. Just like we would care for our children who are in our own physical family, We have a responsibility to care for those who are in the spiritual family. Not only just talking to them, but praying for them. If we see they are struggling with a particular sin, if we know somehow about some struggle that they are facing, we need to pray for this. And God will answer this prayer. That is His will. But the next part of the verse tells us that there is an exception. There is a prayer that God will not necessarily answer. There is one type of prayer that is an exception. Prayers for those who are committing sin that leads to death will not be answered by God. So the question I'm sure you're asking is, what is the sin then that leads to death? Well, my answer this morning is, I do not know. (laughs) I do not know. With much pain... I have tried to find the answer to this question, but still I cannot. Nowhere in this passage does John tell us clearly what this particular sin is that will lead to death. Now, it is possible that John's original audience understood this reference. They might have understood exactly what John was talking about because it's very vague. We don't understand from the text what this particular sin is that leads to death. But nonetheless, the scriptures tell us there is sin that leads to death. And then it says, I do not say that one should pray for this. So here John gives us this little injunction. It's it's a warning about what prayers God will and will not answer. This is all about prayer, remember. Let's not get sidetracked trying to figure out what the this, what this sin is and what the sin is not. We have access to all of God's resources through prayer. That is a given. We've seen that. Yes. And God will hear our prayer and He will answer 
our prayer. Unless you're praying for someone to be restored or to be healed, and it is a sin that is leading them to death. And God will answer any other of those prayers. But why is that even introduced here? We have to ask this question. I mean, it's, it's staring us in the face here. Why did John even mention this? Well, I think it's to illustrate that when we pray according to God's will, and we know that He hears us, He will answer our prayers. And I hope you've had um, a, a fruitful discussions in your home groups talking about that. And sometimes we, we think that God will not hear our prayers. We find it difficult to pray because we don't know what to pray for. Well, John is helping us here, helping us to have a fruitful prayer life, a prayer that will be beneficial not just to ourselves but to the body of Christ because God will answer our prayers. That's what he's telling us here. And he'll give us the answer to our prayers if our requests are consistent with his will. If our prayers are consistent with his will. Remember, we saw last week, God is not obligated at any point to answer prayers that are not according to His will. Or even if we are living outside of God's will, He's not obligated to answer our prayers if we are living in sin. So let's look at the second part of of verse 16, where the apostle advises Christians not to pray for those whose sin is leading them to death. (coughs) So the second point this morning is the qualification. The qualification, the second point, the second part of verse 16 says, There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that you should pray for that. So the promise is if we pray for a person who is not committing a sin unto death, God will give life to him. We've seen that already in the first part. But this promise does not apply to a person committing a sin unto death. This is the exception. Like I said, this is a very difficult passage. I was very tempted to skip over this passage and, and go directly to verse 18. But I, but I cannot. I could not do that. That would be, that would be dishonest to you, and, and it would be unfaithful to the text, the passage that we've been studying together. Um, so let me, let me tell you what I, what I do know. I believe that there are two possible explanations here. And simply because the word brother here in verse 16 could mean a real Christian, a true, genuine Christian, or it could also mean someone who is a professing Christian, someone who calls himself a Christian but is not a genuine believer. And the Greek word for brother here is, is adelphos, which often is translated as, as a general member of the church. So it could be a brother who is genuinely saved, or it could be someone who is in the church, part of the church, but not born again. And we have those people in the church. We've talked about that already. We see the invisible church, which is, which is the true church of God, which nobody can see. It's the universal church. It's the church that is going to meet Christ when He returns. That is the true invisible church. But then you have the visible church, which is people that we can see. And not everybody in that visible church is born again. Unfortunately, The scriptures tell us that there are goats that are amongst the the sheep. That's the visible church. And in this context, I believe this is to who John is writing. In the context of this letter, John has many times warned the church against the the Gnostic teachers and their, their teachings. 
Remember, these people denied the incarnation. And they threw off all of their, their moral restraints. And they said what is, that, that their, their flesh was, was separate from, from their spirit. So whatever they do in their, in their body does not affect their spirit. And as a result, they, they were involved in all types of um, immorality because they, they felt it didn't affect their, their spirit. Go ahead and sin as you please. This is what they were, were teaching. And there were some church members that were part of the, the apostles' churches who were forsaking the apostles' teachings. And they were joining these, these Gnostic teachers and were being disciples of these Gnostic um, doctrines. And the reason is because it appealed to their flesh. It appealed to their flesh. They could go ahead they could be involved in all types of sin and they could justify it because it wasn't affecting their spirit. They could drink, they could get drunk, they could be involved in all types of orgies and that was fine according to their doctrines. And that appealed to those who were obviously unbelievers, those who were obviously unsaved, those who were obviously slaves to their, their sin. So this could be the people that John is addressing. But the sin in question may be that of a person who professing to be a Christian and that will lead to their eternal death. That is one option here. And this kind of unrepentant sin will obviously lead to, to spiritual death. They are involved in all these wicked types of sin, and they're thinking it won't affect them. And John says it will. So John could be saying that, that praying for the restoration of, of such a person to fellowship, to, to be joined back to the fellowship, is really a waste of your time. It's a waste of time because Hebrews tells us in, in chapter 6, verse 4 and 6, it says, it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Notice there in those verses, twice John uses the word tasted. They have tasted the heavenly gift. They have tasted the goodness of the word of God. So these were people who were in the church. These were people who have heard the gospel. These were people who were not ignorant when it came to the teachings of, of Jesus Christ. And what happened? They fell away. They tasted, but they didn't digest they didn't allow the Word of God. They didn't appropriate the Word of God for themselves. They tasted it, and they fell away. And John says, these people, the writer of Hebrews says, it's impossible to restore these people again to repentance because they are continually, again and again, crucifying the Son of God. Jesus himself mentioned in Mark chapter 3, verse 28, the unpardonable sin. And this is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. The Spirit of God was convicting these people. They heard the truth. They knew the truth. And they kept on rejecting the truth. 
This is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's a persistent refusal to hear the gospel. Someone who consciously denies the person and the work of the the Holy Spirit. This is a non-believer. And they've heard the gospel. They've acknowledged the truth to some point. But they haven't appropriated it. Despite their knowledge, they rejected the gospel. And the Bible says these people are guilty of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And such blasphemy comes from a heart that is unwilling to respond in faith to the gospel. So this could be someone who's professing to be a Christian. But another possibility is that John is referring to a true believer. That is a possibility when he talks about this sin that leads to death. It could be a genuine Christian. Now, according to this view, the sin leading to death refers to a Christian sin that is so serious that God takes the life of the one committing this sin in order to save the spirit in the day of judgment. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul mentions this. Paul mentions this. He talks about saving the spirit in the in the day of judgment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In the first verse he he talks about sexual immorality amongst this church, the Corinthian church now. This is believers, okay? These are people who are in the church. And notice they were committing all types of sexual immorality. And it was reported. And he says it's, it's, this kind of immorality is not even tolerated among the pagans. So notice this, this wickedness that's going on in this church. And Paul says these people are arrogant in verse 2. And he tells them they need to be practicing church discipline. He says in verse 2 there that they ought to remove these people. They ought to mourn over this sin. They're not to tolerate this type of wicked sin. Okay? And then in verse 3, he talks about God's judgment on this particular type of sin. But look at verse 4 and 5 there. He says, When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So his spirit would be saved, but his flesh would be destroyed because he wasn't repenting of his sin. He wasn't able to turn from this bondage. So this is assuming this person was a believer. His spirit would be saved. He wouldn't lose his salvation, but he would be punished for the sins that he was committing in his, in his body. We have record of that in the, in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament. This is not a unique occurrence. Remember in Acts chapter 5, remember Ananias and Sapphira? Remember what happened to them? God put them to death. They were members of the Jerusalem church. Remember they had lied to the Holy Spirit. And God used them as a very powerful example to the rest of the church. Don't lie to the Holy Spirit. Remember Paul's warnings to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11. Turn there to chapter 11. Those of you still in 1 Corinthians, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
we go to this passage very often when we're doing communion, when we have communion together. We read this passage together. But in chapter 11, verse 29 and verse 30, it says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. If you read in the King James, it says, some have slept. That's not a, that's not a pleasant night's sleep, okay? That is an eternal sleep. That is death. Some have died. They were involved in sin. They didn't repent of their sin. They weren't willing to examine themselves before they took the Lord's table. And what happened? God judged them. They died as a result of their sin. If a believer is not willing to judge themselves, is not willing to confess and forsake their sin, God must judge them. God must chasten them. Hebrews chapter 12 gives us a description of this process. Hebrews 12 suggests that a, that a person who does not subject himself to the Father will not live. Hebrews 12, 8 and 9 says, If you are left without discipline, in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If you read in the King James, it says there, then you are bastards. It's a very strong word, isn't it? If you are left without discipline, in which you have all participated, then you are bastards. You are illegitimate children. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? This is talking to Christians, those who are not, those who are, are very much legitimate, those who are God's children. If we are involved in sin, we will be disciplined. Think about your own relationship with your children. You're not going to ignore your children's bad behavior if you're a good parent. You're going to discipline them because you know the peaceable fruit of righteousness will be a result of your discipline. And that's what the scriptures talk about here. You know, first God comes and, he, and he, he gives his children a spanking. Those who are rebellious children, those who are in sin, he first gives them a spanking. And if they still not yield, if they do not yield to his will, he may remove them from this world. The judgment upon a believer who is not willing to repent of his sins may result in in the loss of his life in case of their disobedience. And think about that for a moment. Think about your own children's disobedience. If you have more than one child, if one of your child thinks they can get away with murder, what will happen? Your second child will think they can get away with murder, isn't it? And that's unfortunately the case in the church. If they child of God is left without discipline, the rest of the children think that they can perform any type of sinful immorality as a result. And the church belongs to God, folks. The church does not belong to us. He has purchased the church with his blood. It cost him his son's life. He will do everything he can to make sure his church 
is holy, holy, holy. In the Corinthian church, the scriptures are clear as to, as to what sin led to the death of some of their members. But our passage in, in 1 John, there's no clear description that is given as to, to what the sin is that John is referring to. It simply says that this sin results in physical death. If a believer continues to sin, God in judgment will take his or her, her life. Only God knows what that sin is. It's not a specific sin. It could be a different sin in each person's case. It could be a sin that somebody is not willing to let go of. Remember, when we are saved, we have been set free from slavery, folks. We have been set free from the chains of sin. So as a believer, when we sin, we are choosing to sin. And a believer who has chosen to sin and is not willing to let go of, of that specific sin, whether it's lying, whether it's adultery, whether it's pornography, whether it's stealing, and they, they're enjoying that sin to a point where they don't want to let it go, judgment can be expected. Judgment most certainly can be expected. And we don't know what that specific sin is that, that John is talking about, but it can very much be the straw that breaks the camel's back when it comes to a, a believer who is continuing in, in disobedience. But the point that John is making here is really a sub-point. John is not going into a great discourse discussing this type of sin here. It's just two, really two verses, one verse that talks about this here. But the context, I think, is most important for us to understand what John is talking about here. And the context here in verse 16 and 17 is about prayer. His main subject is the type of request that can be made with the assurance that God will answer. In the context, remember, the reason why John does not encourage prayer for sin that leads to death is that it is not the type of request that can be made with full assurance. We can never be sure that God would grant that prayer for those who are involved in those types of sins, which leads to my third point. And the third point in verse 17 is, is this assurance. Is this assurance. Verse 17 says, All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So although God mercifully does not immediately punish every sin with death, every sin, remember, nonetheless is a serious matter. Sin is sin. All unrighteousness is sin. It tells us there, all wrongdoing is sin. We cannot justify our sin. We must not justify our sin. I remember as a young child being told, well, as long as it's a white lie, it doesn't matter. Any of you heard that before? Well, a white lie is a lie, isn't it? There's no white lie. There's no black lie. There's no white adultery. There's no black adultery. Sin is sin. That's what the scriptures are telling us here. Every sin is a violation of his law. And it's why Christ came to die. And every sin needs to be confessed. 
Every sin needs to be forsaken. Romans 8 verse 13 tells us, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we have a responsibility as believers to mortify the flesh. To mortify, to kill the flesh. To overcome these sins. To be disciplined in our Christian walk with the Lord. When we become Christian, our battle with sin becomes, becomes a real battle. It becomes a real battle. Before we were Christians, we had no issue with sin. We didn't care about our sin. We were slaves to it. But when we became Christians, there was a battle that started. A battle that we can overcome. And the main point that John wants us to understand is that a believer must learn to pray to God for what God himself wants. And he wants us to overcome sin. And he wants to answer that prayer. Verse 16 and 17 are connected to, to a bigger picture here. And sometimes, you know, we look closely at the leaves on the tree and, and, and we forget that there's, that there's a bigger forest there. And in our text today, John is, is he's speaking about this one exception. But this is not the main point. The main point is God hears our prayers. He answers them. And we have what we ask if we ask according to His will. And here in our passage is an illustration of something that's not in, in God's will. And that it's not in His will to deliver someone from death who is committing a sin that they're not willing to turn away from. A sin that will eventually lead them to death. And we don't know what that point is even. John is not saying that we mustn't pray, but he's saying don't assume that prayer is going to be answered. Don't have any confidence that that prayer is not going to be answered. He's not saying we mustn't pray at all. We are to pray according to his will. That's what he is saying. Look at James chapter 5. I think James chapter 5 is a close parallel to our passage here in, in 1 John. James chapter 5 verse 14 to verse 20 says... Is anyone among you sick? Well, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. The prayer of faith mentioned there in verse 15 is a prayer that is in the will of God. We talked about that last week. When we pray in Jesus' name, we are praying according to the will of God. This is the prayer of faith that James is mentioning here. A prayer that is in the will of God. Pray that we can be confident that God will answer. 
we can have full assurance that he will answer this type of prayer if it's according to his will. Let me flesh this out a bit by way of application as we, as we come to the end here. You know, someone may ask me to pray for a job, that the Lord would provide a new job for them, but they are addicted to pornography and are not living a, a faithful, obedient life. Well, God will not answer my prayer for this man's employment. We should rather be praying that he will repent of his sins and follow Christ faithfully. And we may not know that he's involved in that secret type of sin. But when we see that prayer not being answered, we have to ask the question, why is it not being answered? God has promised us he will answer our prayers if it's according to his will. It is his will that we provide for our families. Why is that man not getting a job? Or maybe he's not living according to God's will. Or someone may ask you to pray for a marriage partner. They want a spouse. But they are neglecting to be gathered together with the saints. And they refuse to come to church. And that is living disobedient life, isn't it, folks? Or someone will ask you to Pray that God will bless their marriage, but they are not willing to be equally yoked with someone who is a Christian. How many times people have come to me asking me to pray that God would bless their marriage? I can't pray confidently for that. If a Christian is marrying a non-Christian, that prayer God will not answer because it's not according to His will. Someone may come and ask me, to pray that God would give them a new job, but perhaps it's not God's plan for you to have that job in that other place. Maybe God's plan and God's will is that you stay where you are and you be a witness to your co-workers and you be a witness to your community and you help build the church where, where you are a member. I think this is a very relevant application for us, folks. God wants us here for a purpose and a, and, 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 a, and a reason. Let's make sure that we are living according to His will. And we're not praying for things that are outside of His will. Or a man who's dissatisfied with his three-year-old Toyota. So he prays for a brand new Mercedes-Benz. That's not God's will. When we ask according to our own selfish desires, isn't it? God will not hear those types of prayers. James chapter 4 verse 3 says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, to spend it on your lusts. Don't pray for things that are not in line with God's will. But in, if in our praying we do not sense that we are praying according to God's will, then we should not pray for those particular things. Jeremiah tells us in chapter 7, verse 16, Jeremiah recorded this. The Lord said, As for you, do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry, or pray, or pray for them, and do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Some prayers that God will not hear. 
prayers that are not aligned according to His will. If we are living in disobedience to God, God will not hear those prayers. If we see a brother or sister committing sin, of course we mustn't ignore that. We must pray for them. The Scriptures tell us we need to confront them prayerfully, gently, fervently. Verse 16 tells us, pray, pray that they will confess that sin, whatever it is that they are guilty of, asking God to grant repentance so that they will return to fellowship with the Father. We must pray for restoration. But secondly, I think by way of application, you know, it can be easy to get angry with these people. We all know of Christians who justify their sin. And they try and cover up their sinful choices by saying that, that they believe it is God's will that they do this and they do that sin. I shared with a group, our home group on, or just, just yesterday, I remember a man who came to a, a pastor friend of mine who was asking for prayer. And he told the pastor that God had shown him who his new wife is going to be. But he was still very much married to his first wife. But he felt that, that it was God's will and God was directing him to divorce his wife and marry this other woman. And the pastor just looked at this man and, and, and said to him, So you are telling me that it is God's will for you to commit adultery. Come on, folks. We have God's word. We know better. Don't plead ignorance. Are we praying for God's will to be done? Now, I've had people come to me and say that, that they're no longer coming to church. They have prayed about it, and God is leading them to serve Him without a church. They don't need a church anymore. Where does it say that in the Scriptures? Where does it say that we are to be individual, lone ranger Christians? What about Hebrews 10? that says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. And the people normally reply, well, that doesn't apply to me. Well, if it doesn't apply to you, then rip it out of your Bible. Take it, tear it out of your Bible if it doesn't apply to you. All of Scripture applies to us, folks. And we need to obey all of the Scripture. We can't pick and choose which part of the Scriptures we don't want to believe, which we don't want to follow. We can't deliberately be involved in sin. God's not going to hear those prayers. God will punish us if we're not willing to turn from them. Now, how do we pray for these people? Well, it's easy to pray for the human solution, isn't it? And we all think we know what is right, and we all think we know what is God's will. But how do we pray? How do we pray for these people that are struggling in these sins? Well, pray first and foremost that God would open their hearts. That God would open their minds and He would open their spirits. Pray for the Lord to, to open their minds, to see what is true, and to follow what is true. And pray for that person's particular situation as well. Pray specifically over what is keeping those people in bondage to their sin. Maybe you don't know what it is, but pray specifically nonetheless. Pray that God would help them see clearly that they are involved in sin. And that it won't justify their sin. And ask that these chains will be broken. And that God's will 
will prevail over that situation. Remember the examples of, of Joshua and Elijah and even, even Jesus. These examples teach us that when our prayers line up with, with God's sovereign will, wonderful things will happen. Now, as Christians, it's not only important to pray for ourselves. We need to be praying for each other, especially those that are struggling with sin. We need to be praying for each other all the time as we pray for those that we love. We need to be praying for the church as well. And we all face different temptations. We struggle. We face different problems. But the struggle we face here is getting our prayers in line with God's will. That is the challenge. And that's what John is, is challenging us this morning. Make sure that our will lines up with God's will. It's not the other way around. Make sure that God's will lines up with your will. We don't get to change God's will, folks. He is perfect. He is 100% true. We are the ones who struggle with sin. We are the ones who lived on this cursed earth who are influenced by sin. We are the ones who need to change our will. Prayer is not optional for God's children. It is absolutely essential, as I said last week, because if we are not praying, we are not living by faith. Let me repeat that. If we are not praying, we are not living by faith. We are simply trusting in ourselves which is exactly what Satan wants us to do, which is exactly what the world does, isn't it? They live by, by, by their, own, their, own, their, their own strength. Let me finish with the illustration here this morning for those of you who are pilots or involved in the aviation industry. I read a story about a pilot who, who frequently flew his small private plane in and out of the Toronto International Airport. And a pastor friend asked him if he ever encountered problems taking off and landing such a small craft at an airport that was dominated by these huge jumbo jets. And he said, well, my plane may be small, but I have the same rights and I have the same privileges and I have the same access to that airport as any one of those other aircrafts do. And the pastor thought about it, and he said, well, that's the same as prayer. And when we approach the throne of grace, no matter who we are, or no matter how small we are in comparison with other giants we think are spiritual giants, or how lowly we may think we are, we don't take a backseat to anybody. No one is given special priority treatment when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ especially when it comes to prayer. If we are in Christ and we know that God hears us, hear the message that John is teaching us this morning, folks. If we are living according to His will, God hears our prayers. And let us hunger for the things that are after God's heart. And let us walk in His ways, not in our ways. If we are faithful to pray without ceasing, then we are living in the will of God, and that can never be wrong. Father, this morning we ask you, Lord, please, to take these truths and help us to apply them 
correctly, Lord. Help us to apply them to our situations, Lord, where perhaps we are trying to justify our sin. Lord, where we are trying to manipulate you to doing what we want. Lord, we pray that we would be submitting to you more and more. Father, that we would hunger after the things that are in your heart, not in our hearts, Lord. And that you give us discernment to know the difference, Father. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be better prayer warriors as a church, Lord. That your kingdom come, that your will be done as earth, as it is on earth, as it is in heaven. That, Lord, you would get the glory that you deserve from us as a church as we together serve you according to your revealed will in the scriptures, Lord. May you be glorified. We ask this prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen.